Join me in Psalm 115. This morning we're going to talk about authority. That little thing that all of us love so much, right? (laughs) Our key words for our worshipers in training this morning are Scripture, authority, and rebellion. If you're joining us for the first time, again, welcome. We're right in the middle of our series called Life Together. And we're discovering, or we're walking through three uh, specific areas. Uh, we just finished walking through a community. And now, this morning, we start on truth. And we will end our series in several weeks with mission. So, um, we're going to start this morning on this area of truth. And uh, we're going to begin with this idea of authority. Because without the right understanding of authority, all other truth is simply meaningless because we don't actually see it as truth. So I think it's vitally important that we spend this first uh, week as we're in this section on truth, looking at ultimate authority in our lives, and then we'll begin to work that out over the next few weeks as we enter into this section of our series. So... As I thought about authority, I was curious about how many of you know these words. Maybe you know them and you can join me if you do. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I've traveled each and every highway, and much, much more than this, I did it how? My way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing. But now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me, I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got if not himself? then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. This is a song written by Paul Anka and it was popularized by Frank Sinatra. So we tell the story of a man who's nearing the end of his life. He's nearing death. And he's comfortable with how he dealt with all the various twists and turns of his life while maintaining what he perceived to be a respectable degree of integrity in his own life. This is one of the most reproduced songs in American history. You've heard Elvis sing it maybe, or Nina Simone, or U2. Uh, It's referenced in music by Bon Jovi and the rapper Jay-Z. It's featured in various TV shows and, and movies, and it was even parodied on Sesame Street by Oscar the Grouch. 
Now, think of these words and compare these words with Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. See the difference? It's huge. One says, things happen in my world, my way. The other says, God does what He pleases. Things happen in all the universe His way. So there's a contradiction here. So up front, I'm going to tell you who wins. (laughs) God does, surprise, right? (laughs) So the air that we breathe is, no one tells me what to do. I do what I want. No one's the boss of me. I do it my way. This is the air we breathe day in and day out. Historically, in many ways, there's been sort of this progression from at least some submission to authority and then eventually self being exalted to the highest position. So most of what we see is an outright rebellion against any authoritative system that is built in our culture. Now, I'm not claiming that after the fall in Genesis 3, where, that there was ever a time where man was not rebellious. There's never been that time. There's always been man fighting against the authority of God. So there is no time that has existed since the fall in the garden where man has been completely submissive to God. We're not looking at some historical time and saying, that was it. That was when things were wonderful. That was Genesis 1 and 2. There has never been a time since then. But I also uh, know that you might be thinking that there is a time to rebel against specific authorities. And you are correct. There are times when believers are called to rebel against authority when that authority is calling us into specific sin. But we're not going to talk about that because maybe this is the case sometimes, but I don't think that most of the problem is that we're not rebelling when we ought. Biblically, the bigger problem seems to be that most of us lack authority in our lives that leads us to sin. Because the natural inclination of our hearts is to say there is no such thing as authority. So the individual self rules. What I want rules. What I think is fair is what is right. There's this deep sense of entitlement that says, I don't have to obey the rules. I deserve this. I have a right to that. And this is the wickedness and the sinfulness of the human heart. And it's a capitulation to a system of the world that increasingly has said to us, this world exists for your personal pleasure, for your purposes, so do what seems appropriate to you. And so the result is that man's eyes are glued on himself without any kind of foundation whatsoever. So he doesn't end up living and walking as he was created to live and walk, which is under authority. He's a lost soul, uppermost in his own affections, which has only led to greater frustration and anger. 
Now, this idea of doing things my way are far more prevalent than most of us realize because it's something that we take in every single day. I'm not going to give a bunch of examples, but just think of our music and our movies and our business practices and the politics that go on in our country, you name it. The common thread is rebellion against authority. And so while we collectively will look at Psalm 115.3 and say, yes, amen, our God is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases, our hearts are quick to add to that, but, but what? But what about my rights? What about my freedoms? I'm an American. What about these things? What about those things? Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is, this is one reason why we here believe it is so vitally important that we understand the sovereignty of God. Because once we admit, once we can get to the place where we understand the fact that God is sovereign over all things we then have to submit to the fact that He has all authority. So the implications of God's sovereignty are huge. So any focus on authority has to start here. It has to start with God because He has ultimate authority. And any other authority in our lives is as a result of God granting that authority, no matter who it is in your life. If God is sovereign... And the Bible constantly tells us that He is, or He wouldn't be God. Then whoever has authority in our lives has that authority because God has granted it to them. And He calls you to submission. So yes, that includes President Obama. That includes your boss. That includes the elders of the church. That includes the local government. And on and on and on. This is not a popular idea, right? The problem with rejecting it is that you're not only rejecting the authority that God has placed in your life through others, but then you're also rejecting the authority of Scripture. And we'll get into these things in a little bit individually. So God's sovereignty is vitally important for us to understand here. We are in desperate need of not intellectually understanding it and talking about it and having debates about it like we love to do. We are in need of embracing God's sovereignty, living in light of it, knowing that it will sometimes lead us to places we don't necessarily want to go in terms of obedience. This is the very reason why. We talked about this in Sunday school. As we walk through the Old Testament, God constantly wants to point back to the fact that other nations that worship other gods are foolish because their gods are usually carved out of something or molded by their hands out of something, right? So God's defense for Himself often in the Old Testament is, are they worshiping a piece of wood? Didn't I make that? Aren't they worshiping a piece of metal? I made that. Paul's big argument against all of... He he walks into Athens and he sees all of these statues and all these things being worshipped. And Paul looks at this and says, Our God is not served by human hands as though He needed 
anything. God doesn't need our help. He is not lacking in any way. He speaks and it is. And He can make more of whatever He wants any time He wants. He's outside of time. He's beyond our comprehension in many ways. And what we know is that He spoke and as a result, all that we know is. In Job 26, we read, All that is are but the fringes of His power. Did you get that? So all that we know of the universe, as vast and as far and as wide and unending as it seems to us, Job says, fringes. In other words, we still have no clue of His immense size because even creation is but the fringes of His power. And so this is the God of the Bible. And He brought it all to be in six days. And it was spoken into existence by the Word, by His Son, by Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, famously has stated, In the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which the Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare, that is mine. So that's why constantly we see through the Bible everything obeying Jesus. The wind obeys Him. The waves obey Him. The trees obey Him. Everything does what He tells it to do. There's not a particle of dust that does not have to obey Him. Just think about Jesus' ministry, right? Do diseases obey Him? Yes. Does death obey Him? Yeah. Do the demons obey Him? Yes. Do they argue with Him? Never. Not once. Read your New Testament. There's never a time when Jesus says, Come out from Him. And the demon says, No, not today. Not right now. No, instead they say, Please don't. Just send us into the pigs. And so He does. Go into the pigs. So even the demons obey Him. He stands up on a boat, He rebukes a storm, and immediately it stops. He tells a little dead girl to get up from death, and she does. He tells His friend Lazarus that's that's been dead for a few days to come out of the tomb, to come out, and He does. He dies Himself and is resurrected. Everything obeys Him. This is the God of the Bible. We see Him curse a tree and it shrivels up. We see Him turn a kid's lunch into enough food to feed 5,000 people. Do Do we have to keep going? We understand His power and His authority. God is Creator. And since He is Creator, He is infinitely sovereign over His creation. And that is terrifying to a mind that says, I have rights. I have my set of rules and you cannot do anything that infringes upon my inherent self-value. Well, this is a very dangerous place to be. God is sovereign and 
You are not. (laughs) All authority begins and ends with God in Christ. And it just rubs us wrong, doesn't it? If we're honest, we will say this rubs us wrong because we are rebels. Let me give you an, an example of something that will rub us wrong. Numbers chapter 15. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to explain it to you. We see a man who's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And the elders ask God, this, this guy's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. What do we do? God's response, kill him. He knows the law. He broke it. Kill him. The elders say, okay, how? And God tells them, stone him to death. He's picking up sticks. And so we want to look at that and we want to say, wait a minute. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. That seems like a life sentence for going five over on the speed limit. That's not right. That's not, what's the word we use? Fair. So how does the Apostle Paul respond to this claim? Romans 9. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Why can Paul make that statement? Because God has all authority and He calls His creation to submit to that authority and He does so rightly and He does so justly because He created us and He sustains us. So we can't say it enough. Ultimate authority is His So Frankie Blue Eyes doesn't get to do it his way. In fact, Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. In his little book, Authority, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, There is no doubt that things are as they are in the Christian church throughout the world today because we have lost our authority. As a result, the people have ceased to listen or to pay any attention to the message. I agree. It starts with God. It starts with seeing God who is in the heavens doing all that He pleases. But how do we know that? How do we know about God at all? How do we know that He is the ultimate authority and that we are called to submit to Him in the first place? The Apostle Paul argues in Romans 1 that nature itself testifies to this reality. But to go further, God has revealed Himself to us and has given us a sure foundation in which to find what God has authoritatively proclaimed. We have the Bible. During the Protestant Reformation, the recovery of the Bible as the sole authoritative Word of God was of utmost importance. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, was a driving force behind what the Reformers did to break away from the unbiblical traditions and a a corrupt religious system. And so, you hold Bibles in your lap this morning. We're able to study them and read them day after day because... They literally put their lives on the line for the sake of getting the Bible into our hands. Why? 
Why was that so important? Because they understood that it was God's word to us. Without error, without contradiction, and final in its authority because it was from God. And it is from God. It is ultimate authority. So we cannot speak about God's ultimate authority apart from speaking about Scripture. Because it is Scripture which testifies to His authority and gives us the final word on all that is good and all that is right for life and godliness, as Peter tells us, as well as what is evil and detestable in the eyes of God. Now flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. This is very, very important to us. Second Timothy three verse sixteen and seventeen. All scripture. Let that settle. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent. Equipped for every good work. All Scripture is from God. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is authoritative. And so if the Bible is God's Word, if the Bible is from God, then the Bible is, logical conclusion, Authoritative, right? Over 3,000 times in the Bible, you will read the words, The Lord said. And 46 times, 33 of them in the New Testament, you will see the Bible referring to itself as authoritative when it says, It is written. And so even logically, we can believe in the authority of Scripture because the Scriptures themselves claim authority. But over the years, the Bible has ceased to be a book about God and has instead become more and more and more a book about us. It's about me and it's about what I want and I'm the individual. This is why we spent so much time talking about community. Because we've ingrained in our minds that this whole thing is more about me as an individual than it is about God and others. It's just me and Jesus. So if I walk in disobedience or if I am completely going to reject the wisdom of God, it's okay because God and I have this thing together. Yes, you do have this thing together. It's called hell. So... For many, the Bible has ceased to be a book about the nature and character of God and how we find out about the nature and character of God and has instead instead become a book about me. So how can I become happy? How do I get rid of this or that? We use it as some sort of spiritual or medicinal encyclopedia and call it God's love letter to us. But the problem is that that's not what it is. That's not what the Bible is. Now, are there truths in the Scriptures that point us to joy and give us wisdom to walk in that we would be free of sin and temptation in our lives? And on and on and on. Yes, of course. 
But that is once the gospel has first taken root in our lives. Once you get the story, once you, once you are in the story, and without that, you have no shot. So you can spin and work and strive and try and fight hard to do all that God commands of you in the Bible. But if the gospel has not become real to you, if you're not walking in the newness of life in Jesus, you're going to get frustrated at your absolute failure. Why? Because you cannot do it on your own. We must first walk under the authority of Christ in our lives before we can walk in obedience to the authority of the Scripture in our lives. So without Christ, you don't know what it means to obey Him and you don't know what it means to submit to Him. Again, from Lloyd-Jones, he writes, There is no question. A man who is not a Christian cannot believe in the authority of the Scriptures. We should not expect him to do so. We are wasting our time if we argue with him about it. It is futile for us to confront the modern rationalist or unbeliever and say, first of all, we must have an agreement about the Bible. Do you believe the Word of God? Do you accept it as authority or not? If you do not, we are not in a position to discuss it with you. But such reasoning is entirely false. It puts the cart before the horse. If he is not a Christian, he cannot possibly accept the authority of the Scriptures. It is only the Christian who does so. The authority of the Scriptures is not a matter to be defended so much as to be asserted. I'm reminded of what the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said in this connection. There is no need for you to defend the lion when he is being attacked. All you need to do is to open the gate and let him out. We need to remind ourselves frequently that it is the preaching of the Bible that really establishes its truth and authority. There is nothing that really explains the whole world situation as it is today except the Bible. So we must see the Scriptures as authoritative in our lives. And in doing so, when we really understand what that means, when we truly get that God, the sovereign creator of all things, who sees the expanse of the entire universe and says, it's, it fringes. <laughs> it's fringes to Him. And yet... He's revealed Himself to us. He calls us to know Him through His Word. We ought to be incredibly thankful for that. And if you don't love the Word, if you don't love the Scriptures, the problem's not with God. The problem's not with the Bible. It's with your heart. Now, for some of you, it may be that you're a Christian and no one's ever walked with you and encouraged you to walk in holiness. And the Bible's a bit confusing to you and you feel a bit lost in all of it. But you can't stay there long. You've got to grow and mature and get off the milk and start eating the meat. Now, I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. So what does that mean? It means we recognize God is the ultimate authority and has given His Word in the Bible 
So we must submit to the Scriptures as an authority. And then for me to walk in faithfulness, to walk toward holiness, I need to be under the authority of the local church and under the authority of other believers who can walk with me and challenge me and hold me accountable as we talked about last week. So there's a lot of authority in our lives, right? And it's a good thing. It's God's gracious way of maturing us, reminding us constantly that this thing isn't about us. But we simply have the privilege of getting to play a part in all of it. Now, all of this speaks to those who will be in the church week after week after week, who profess to be believers with their mouths but live absolutely carnal lives. What's the issue? Authority. I've said it before. They want to look to God's Word and all that He commands of us in terms of obedience and absolutely reject it. It's the problem of, I know what God says, but... But what? Sexual immorality, idolatry, drunkenness, worldliness. Well, nobody's perfect, so it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It is a huge deal because we don't get to just go on sinning and tell God to deal with it and expect Him to say, okay, no problem. No, we're not perfect. Yes, we will continue to sin in this life and we will never reach sinless perfection in this life. But if you are flipping about that, if you knowingly sin time and time again, and it means nothing to you, and you just rationalize it by saying something like, well, God will forgive me later, so it's, it's really no big deal. You've got a big problem. You don't understand the gospel. And you surely do not love Christ if you're, you're just fine with Him dying for you so that you can just go on sinning. Paul says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And if you take God and all that He commands lightly, you have an authority problem. And you are not the exception. Rebellion against God's authority is a tragic place to be. It leads to death. So, God is the ultimate authority as sovereign. The Bible is how we know His authority and what He requires of us to submit to that authority. Now, what we see is authority then starts at the top with God and it works its way down into every sector of our lives, right? Let's look at the authority of man in our lives. God calls us to submit to the government, to parents, to bosses, teachers, law enforcement, and the church. And on and on we can go. And as we looked at last week, the the Bible also calls us to put ourselves willingly to seek out the authority of other believers in our lives for our joy. Let me give you a few examples from Scripture. Government or law enforcement, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Children, 
Your parents, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Our bosses, Colossians three twenty two, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And the church, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And on and on we can go. We see from the Bible that being under authority is good for us. And those who are in authority over us will stand before God and will give an account for how the authority they were given is administered. Now, if if a Christian has any authority in their life, this should cause a great deal of humility, right? I will, for example, at the judgment, give an account for how I did as a pastor at Ephesus Church. And for how I did and what I did as a father and as a husband at a minimum. These are areas in my life where I have authority and already in many ways tremble, absolutely tremble to consider how short I've fallen in the mark of godliness in these three areas alone. Recognize in these passages I read, the focus in all of them is obedience. Not necessarily because we think those in authority over us are right all the time, but so that it will go well for us when we submit to those God has appointed for our good. It's important to understand, submission to the authority of man does not mean that we do not get to ask questions or that we do not get to disagree. But when we ask questions, it does mean that we do so respectfully and humbly, understanding that the position of authority is always of one of greater consequence come judgment time. Realize also that all of us are under authority. We cannot escape it, and nor should we want to. I want to get real practical here with this one, because I want to show you what this looks like in the church, and then we're done. How is it that we as a church can watch and guard the work of God at Ephesus Church from division and dissension and a fracturing of the unity that God has graciously allowed for us to walk in? The Bible says you submit to and you follow the leaders God has put into place. Not blindly, but because in every avenue we have not been perfect, right? We've absolutely sought your good. We've never tried to hide anything about what we believe, about how we spend money, about our personal lives, about what we see in terms of our failures as leaders, where we see corporate sins that we need to repent of and turn from. Right? There's times that we do things, and maybe those things we have to back up on and say we went a little too quickly here. And there's other times where we say... Uh, 
maybe we should have gone a little more quickly there. Now, there will always be one or two that say, hey, what, what's happened here? I didn't know about this. Well, we've been talking about it for six months and we just finished a nine-week sermon series on it, so I'm not talking about that. That's on you. But sometimes we've led in ways and willfully admit that we've done things faster or slower than we should have. There's been a lot of transition and changes in the life of Ephesus Church over the last two years. And sometimes that's a little bit painful. And sometimes that doesn't go exactly the way that we want it to. And we're going to get some things wrong. It's going to happen. But remember, God is the ultimate authority. And He has ordained that all that we have endured and all that we have walked in would come to pass. And in the end... It would be for our good. So I can assure you of this. Every decision that we make is being made with you and your spiritual vitality and health in mind. So what I'm asking you to do, really what the Bible and what God is asking you to do is to trust your leaders. And if you see biblical error, you are more than welcome to point that out. If you see another angle, you're not hearing from us, and you think that maybe there's something else more wise, bring it to us. We're not inaccessible. We know we're going to mess things up, and we're going to get things wrong. But realize, too, that in the end, we may not agree. And you may see something differently than us in the Scriptures or in practice. And once we've established that we see there is no error in sin, know that there's going to be... There's, there's going to be some pushing on going forward and no one is stirring up dissension every time a topic comes up that we've already discussed or we're working towards something. So here's the deal. We are striving. Your elders are striving to walk with you through life in every means possible. We love you and we want what's best for you. There's never a decision that's been made that I know of at Ephesus Church where we think, I really think everyone's going to hate this. And it's going to result in spiritual shipwreck for half the congregation. Sounds great, let's do it. That's not how we make decisions. So here's what the Bible calls us to. Do what you can to guard against division and dissension by watching what you say and obeying your leaders. Now, I realize that all this can sound very self-serving on my part, so I want to point out two things. First, I'm simply explaining what the Bible already says. And it says to not obey your leaders, to not submit to their authority, is of no advantage to you. Because they're not able to do their work with joy. So your submission to the authority of the elders, if you are a member here, is for your advantage. I'm not saying don't disagree with us. I'm not saying don't tell us when you have an issue or don't approach us in sin. We're sheep before we're shepherds. What I am saying is what the Bible is saying. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because we are earnestly with love and a lot of tears and prayer seeking to watch over your souls. I can promise you that. Secondly, I, like you, am under the authority of the elders. Listen very carefully. You do not have a senior pastor at Ephesus Church. 
If you want one, his name is Jesus. No single man holds more authority in the church than any other. And we believe that is best. We believe that is biblical. We all have different responsibilities. We all have different gifts. But we all have equal authority and we will all submit to the authority of one another. So there are times when I say, hey, guys, let's do whatever. And the other guys say, no, we're not doing. And so we don't. Likewise, and, and this, is, this is how I know that I am loved by my pastors. Pastor Steve and Pastor Russ are my pastors just as much as they are yours. There are times when they'll tell me, hey, that thing you said about whatever in the sermon on Sunday, don't say that. It's not helpful. It distracts us from the gospel. That's good. That's right. We need that. So you want more than one pastor here. It's good for you. It's good for all of us. And thank God we're able to do what we do. And for the most part, now your elders are able to work with joy because most of you look to the Word, strive to obey the Word, and submit to your leadership, even if you don't agree with us, because I hope you trust us. So thank you. So may God protect us. I don't know if most of you take notice of this, but he's doing some great and powerful things here. There are some really great things going on here. Now, sadly, all of us have this tendency to look around and see what we think needs to be fixed and forget to look at what's going on that's beautiful and right around us. There's a lot of beautiful things right around here, and I hope you notice it. God is changing people's lives in our midst. Now, that's something the pastors get to see more than most of you because it's the position we're in. But take notice. Ask one another. Delight in the goodness of God and what He's doing to reconcile us to one another and broken, tattered sinners back to Himself. All of us are rebels. We scoff at His authority from time to time, and yet He's doing amazing things in our midst. Don't miss that. Keep your eye on that. Because in all of it, here's the good news. God is good. God is merciful. God is gracious. And as you and I have rebelled against His ultimate authority, He has made a way to reconcile you to Himself and give you an inheritance as a son or a daughter of God, no longer walking in this world as an orphan. He sends His own begotten Son, eternal Deity, Jesus the Christ, who takes off His glory and puts on human weakness and walks without sin so that He may then give to you His righteousness. And then He gets on the cross, He absorbs the full wrath of God towards your slanderous and blasphemous life. And the good news of the gospel and what we've come to celebrate as believers in Christ today is that we have a right standing before God, not because of us, but because of Him. Are we rebellious? Absolutely. Do we continue to be rebellious? Yes. First John would say that you're a liar if you say no. But does the wrath of God pour out on His children? No. That's not our God. 
Our God says, you are mine, and I will strengthen you, and I will sustain you, and I will walk with you because you are my son, you are my daughter, and I am pleased with you, and I will rid you of rebellion because of what Christ has accomplished for you. His blood will not be wasted. So you see, it's not based on me. It's not based on you. It's based on Christ. And none of us will ever get our heads around that fully. That's what the Bible says. He loves me. He who holds all authority, He who has created all things through His eternal Word, His Son, knows me and loves me and extends His mercy to me. And you. It's a beautiful thing. Just let that settle. If you're a Christian, He has pursued you, He has transformed you, and He loves you. He has extended His grace to you. So instead of saying, what about my rights? We can start to recognize the magnitude of His authority and say, why so good to me? Why such grace to a sinner like me? May God help us all and may the Gospel take deep roots in all of us. Here's how I'm going to pray for us as we end this morning. I want to pray that God would give us all a greater love for the authority appointed over us, whatever that is. That He would convict us of sinful hearts that rebel. And that He would help us to see that to be obedient to Him is to be obedient to others for our good. And may God give those of us who've been called to lead Lead faithfully and prayerfully for all of our good. May it be that your elders would lead faithfully and prayerfully for your good. And may the leaders in this church lead faithfully and prayerfully with love in our hearts for your individual souls that we would want more for you than you want for yourselves. That's what I'm going to pray for us this morning. So let's do that now. God, You are so good to us. As rebels, as those who have walked in defiance to Your authority, that You have still pursued us, You have lavished grace upon us, You have transformed us, You have given us new life, and now You give us the ability to walk in submission to Your authority. That is so good. We're so thankful. And so I pray, God, that in light of this, that You would give us all a greater love for all of the authorities appointed over us in our life. And we know that that starts with loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Convict us, Lord, of our sinful hearts that rebel against You when we walk in sin. 
Help us to see that to be obedient to you is to be obedient to others that you have put in our lives for our good. Father, walk with those who have authority. That we would lead faithfully and prayerfully with love in our hearts for others, for those you've called us to lead. And help us all, Father, to see that we're in this thing together. That we need each other. We need the correction of one another. We need the leadership of others. We need your word and we need more of you. And without these things, Father, we're lost and we're wandering and we are rebels. We don't want to be rebels, God. We don't want to be rebellious. We want to be faithful. We want to walk in submission because it's good for us and it's right and You call us to that. Help us to walk with joy and love for authority in our lives, whatever that is for our good, for Your glory. Amen.